to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon, your host here, broadcasting from uh, Des Moines on Lorena, 1260 AM, 96.5 FM. Before we uh, launch into our conversation here, we're going to take a quick second to thank some of our local business partners. Uh, thanks to uh, Gateway Marketing Cafe at 20th and Woodland in the Sherman Hill neighborhood. That is my grocery store and a fantastic place for breakfast, lunch, or supper. They've also got a catering service. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been treating all creatures great and small for over 30 years. That's Story County Vet. And thanks to Ritual Cafe, located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines. Fair trade coffee, fair trade tea, and an all-vegetarian menu. And thanks to Cinco de Mayo Restaurant on Southeast 14th Street in Des Moines. Authentic Mexican food at very affordable f- prices with uh, relentlessly helpful and friendly service. That's Cinco de Mayo Restaurant. And finally, thanks to Namaste Restaurant at 7500 University Ave in Clive, where you can get a wide assortment of Indian food from both the north and southern parts of the country. That's Namaste Restaurant. All right, so with me in the studio today, Dr. Charles Goldman. I don't know why he keeps coming back for more punishment, but sure enough, he's here with us today. Uh, we got a we got a whole range of stuff to cover today, but first, let's start with the UN Climate Report, um, August eighth, just uh, last week released, mm-hmm. and uh, getting some pushback from the deniers. Surprise, surprise! Uh, but also um, presenting a challenging set of scenarios for the for those inclined to appear uh, for for people across the food spectrum, including. You know, wild-eyed vegans like yourself, <laughs> and uh, more sustainable and balanced people like me who are omnivores. Well, I think, <laughs> I, yeah, I think the UN report was quite interesting because, um, you know, the previous report focused on the things we always focus on, which is en- how to produce energy right. in a more sustainable manner. But it, it turns out that um, the report focused on two things, one really one thing, which is land use. Right. And trying to make the point that the way we... Uh, farm and the way we raise livestock um, are generating many of the problems with land use. Um, and yes, it ultimately talks about eating less beef. Um, eating less beef or eating less meat? Well, it's specifically the ruminants, the ones that produce a lot of methane, which is cows, b- uh, buffalo, bison, uh, goats, sheep. and sheep. Right. Um, but interestingly, uh, if you look at the research concerning just beef, um, the United States, for instance, if if we went to a no beef diet, leaving all other things intact, um, you would reduce carbon dioxide emissions and methane emissions about fifty percent of what we've already promised as part of previously promised as part so of the Paris Accords. I'm, I'm glad you're here to say that. I'm glad you say that because the um, eat less beef mantra has become an eat no meat mantra. Right. And, and there's a huge distinction. And like you point, you, and you didn't even mention, of course, chicken or pork. Well, that's correct. Or and wild game or fish. Or, and well, I know because fish we're trying to convince people. Yeah, we're trying to convince people. And when you tell people you should be a vegan or a vegetarian, you're going to lose people. But um, the, the facts of the matter are that because of the way about a third of what we raise in terms of grains is used to feed animals. Um, yeah, well, and that's a calorie deficit because you feed animals way more calories than you get back in meat. The only entity more hungry for our grain than animals is our cars. Right. Well, and of course, right. Raising, raising corn. Right. Yeah. Raising grain for biofuels. They didn't really talk all that much about it in the report. They were really talking about land use. Right. And um, you know, the point being that uh, we've you know about twenty five percent of land use in, in in the world is for grazing. Uh, grazing livestock, and then a huge amount of what we grow is used yeah. to feed livestock at the same time. Now, I, I have I have argued that uh, that grass fed is better than corn fed. And, well, nutritionally, uh, that's true. Grass. N- well, nutritionally, also land use wise, you're you're not you're not growing large acres of monoculture in order to feed livestock. They're 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 and they're eating what they're naturally designed to eat. Cows are not meant to eat corn. Well, but the problem is uh, that. If you increase grasslands to allow feeding of, of animals, um, you will be driving a, a fair amount of high-productivity uh, areas out from raising food for humans 
and then it would decrease the quality of the, the land that – and this was, again, in the report. It would decrease the quality of the land that we use for agriculture mm-hmm. and increase the cost of food by 80 percent. Right. But, but And again, I think if, if you look at a scenario where people, generally speaking – Again, the, those who choose to be vegans or vegetarians or something else, great. Should feel morally superior at this point. Well, they do actually. <laughs> they, they shouldn't, but they do. <laughs> I get it all the time. But the, uh, but the, um, the but the, if the rest of the uh, meat eating world were to, redu- were to reduce their consumption, especially in, in countries like the U.S., uh, but but in Europe, well, you know well, who the big exporter of red meat in the world is? Is Brazil. Brazil, sure. And, Where, and of the, course, and they're the, clearing the Amazon. That, that, that devastation that is, is incomparable. That's you right. Know? So, yeah, so, um, but, but, but again, if we were, if we were reduced our, our meat consumption, and mm-hmm. then, again, to define meat more broadly is not just beef and not just ruminants even, but the wide spectrum of, of creatures that are available for occasional consumption. You know, you, you, you can look at a, a land use pattern that is, you know, not only m- much less of an impact in terms of carbon and methane emissions, but actually is more sustainable in the long You know, basically, here's what we should be doing. We should be looking at how ecosystems work and replicating that in our agriculture. Mm. And that means, yeah, largely plant-based, but there's a role for animals to play as well. I mean, I could not do what, you know, our, our urban farm would not work without chickens. Right. You know, and I even know uh, vegans who raise chickens just for the compost, mm-hmm. because that, is ele- that, that element is, is essential in any kind of sustainable farm. Well, and I, I think the UN report was quite interesting, too, because you know, we already understand that a vast majority of Americans believe in climate change, but their actual willingness to sacrifice anything to reverse it right. is actually minimal. We've talked about this before. If, if you ask an American, would they be willing to pay more money for electricity if coal plants were removed from the mix? Um, you know, maybe you get up to ten or twenty dollars a month for most people. Then they say, but once you get up to a hundred dollars a month, the vast majority of people are saying, no, I wouldn't do this. Not you know, they don't want to pay twelve hundred dollars a year right. to have mitigation against climate change. But here, why don't we consider this? How about the fact that um, actually food waste is a huge issue in the United States? Oh yeah, twenty percent of the right. food we buy never gets eaten. You mean it never gets out of the grocery shelf or? Either that or it's taken home and never gets Language eaten. Language is in your you know, refrigerator. You to, like you yeah. go to Costco, you know, and you take way, you know, you bring home way too much food. You never eat it. The average family of four in this country wastes eighteen hundred dollars of food a year. Wow. Okay, and to produce one egg requires as much water as taking an eleven-minute shower. Okay, mm-hmm. to produce one egg. Really, one pound of beef requires the equivalent of a six-hour shower. And that's now we're talking about industrial beef. Right. Right. But nevertheless, food waste is an area that wouldn't hurt anybody. Right. Stop buying more than you need, buy more frequently. You know, right, right. you know, Europeans for instance go will might go daily. Or get a flock to buy of food. Get a flock of chickens. Or get, <laughs> feed, to feed the scraps <laughs> exactly. from the table to the chickens. They'll love it. Well, the other problem is what's the big, what's the biggest component of solid waste landfill in the United States? It's food that's thrown out. It's not diapers? No. It's actually food. <laughs> and food, of course, in a landfill is a huge emitter of our favorite methane. It's not those plastic straws. No, Trump not the plastic, although I have my plastic straw today. <laughs> you do, uh, don't you? Yeah, you I know. Well, it's hard to... In, in a styrofoam cup. I didn't have a choice. With a plastic... I didn't have a choice. Sure, they didn't have the plastic ones. Yeah. You know, so... But the point is, is that there are things... I, I understand. <laughs> there are things that legitimately people could do that would not be onerous right. to contribute. In fact, if you stop throwing out food... That would help far more than recycling, because recycling increasingly. I'm not even sure recycling accomplishes, to be honest. With you. As as we're now seeing, it probably doesn't, because yeah. most of it gets shoved in landfills. Well, and and the 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 process of uh, converting it into something useful is is highly energy intensive. Right. Yeah. So, I, I I really liked the UN report because it looked at some well, individual things that aren't about you know getting rid of coal plants. Right. Uh, it looked at 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 structural things about how to use the land available to our our species yeah. in a way that makes more sense. My problem is not with the UN report. My problem is with what some people will choose to do with it. Well, uh-huh. of course. Meat is bad. No meat. Well, we all, just like, all must be vegans. It's just like the Green, the green <laughs> New Deal. That was the thing. They came out and says, the left is going to take away your hamburgers. Right, right, right. Yeah, well. So what about that? Yeah, exactly. Uh, that would be my gonna, point. Are people going to lose their hamburgers uh, if the UN... Report is taken seriously by governments? Yes. 
Because if if you really if you well, really no. dis, if you, if you uh, make it disadvantageous to raise cows, then hamburgers Again, can't I, sell I for one dollar. I, I think it should be regarded as it should be done sustainably. Uh, in, in a system that recognizes the cow's capacity for consumption of grass as opposed to mm-hmm. the artificial uh, consumption of corn that we've simulated. Right. Uh, and and, and done, in, done in conjunction, there's a dairy farm. Uh, Francis Dickey has a dairy farm down in, near Fairfield. He's operated mm-hmm. that farm for, I think, 20-plus years now. And it's one of the few farms where the, the cows are able to levitate. <laughs> That's right, the cows it, it makes it easier to milk them when they're like floating up there at eye level. You know, you just kind of reach up and bend over. It's great. Yeah, no, it's um, <laughs> a levitating cow, right? Yeah. No, but the um, yeah, the, the, the whole system. There's there's a, there's a rotational grazing. So mm-hmm. you never one of the one of the points in the UN report or one of the articles about it was that uh, people tend, farmers tend to let cattle graze uh, graze the uh, graze the pasture. Where they, they they eat it too low, mm-hmm. and they and and you, then you cause erosion. The the grass doesn't regenerate. Well, particularly well. sheep because sheep tend to and, and really also graze the uh, yeah, and also the um the 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 crop then does not have the capacity to help sequester carbon. Mm-hmm. You know, Francis doesn't do that. Uh, sustainable dairy farms don't do that. They they rotate those cattle out, those cows out quickly, and then they have chickens come in and help clean up the mess. And the chickens love that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and so you've got a system where you've got plants and animals in harmony like every single ecosystem that exists. And that, that to me, is the kind of agriculture we want to encourage. And so, yeah, if it means you get less hamburgers and they're grass-fed hamburgers, I'm good with that. But I think to envision a system where there is no role for animal agriculture is naive and, and, and again, has no, no connection to what we really see in nature. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. I, I agree with that. Even I mean, even as a vegan, you agree? Yeah, I okay. mean, it, <laughs> it, it, the industrialization of agriculture has allowed food to become cheaper here in the United States. Right. But so, what is the benefit to us that it's cheaper? Because what's what is cheaper? Is, well, it, the food is cheaper in the health and the health because we're eating better exactly. food. Exactly. Exactly. That's way the whole, more expensive. That's the whole point. And this yeah. idea that you can have infinite freedom to do what you want at the cost of the environment. I mean, really, cutting meat out of your diet literally can do more than worrying about whether you get another two to three miles per gallon from your car. Yeah. You know? Again, it's just again American- cutting meat out or reducing meat. Yeah. Which? Well, cutting meat out entirely would obviously do the most. But re- even reducing, no, see, meat, I don't, I don't reducing meat to once a week, specifically, you know, ruminant-type Meat. Especially if you're burning a lot of energy. I mean, when, I, when, I, when I've been at the peaks of my activity, when I'm really, mm-hmm. really burning calories, yeah. I, I mean, to me, meat is essential. I, I have to have some in my I'm, diet. Right, and but I, there, I, are, I, there are other meats. And, sure. Yeah. And the other thing, of course, about the way we raise cattle, particularly cows, is that when they're put on these mass, you know, these high-volume feedlots toward the end of their life, um, that's that's exactly where the, these flesh-eating E. coli and the other things that we're starting to get from our own sure. diet yeah. show up. If you look at grass-fed cattle, they never carry the the, the virulent E. coli. Mm. It's only the ones who are fed near the end of the life. What was it, HCFA? Or I can't remember. I can't remember now. But I've seen like those yeah. feedlots. Oh, I know. Those I've seen them, too. incredible. I've seen them, too. The, you know, and, and There's the, nothing appealing about them. Well, and that's <laughs> the problem, which is people are totally disconnected mm. from how that piece of beef got to – their supermarket wrapped in cellophane. You know, it doesn't actually come that way. When the Great March for Climate Action, <laughs> yeah, really, the cellophane yeah. is an added feature. Right. When when the Great March for Climate Action was passing through Eastern Colorado, we walked a couple by a couple uh, immense feedlots. I mean, it took twenty minutes to walk past one of these feedlots. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the end of the uh, day, there were marchers who were so overwhelmed by it that they um, they became vegans. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, okay, that's great, but you're, you're missing the point. This is not the only way to raise cattle or livestock or animals in general. This is a, this is a failed system that, uh, you know, that, like you said, embodies lots of different problems, and there are better ways to do that. And so I, I really hope that the debate is not just about the problems uh, of our current land use system with ag- vis-a-vis agriculture and how it impacts climate, but about how we can create more sustainable systems that might, you know, yeah, and there's no doubt. I mean, my diet as an omnivore is largely plant-based, mm-hmm. and I think that's a good thing. But I don't think uh, I don't think we have to uh, shun dairy entirely, meat entirely. And again, I know there are varying opinions about that, and I respect the vegans and vegetarians who disagree. 
but I also hope that they would respect those of us who have an opinion contrary to that. Well, again, I think this is, this is a low-impact change. And the other thing to think about is, um, as they're talking about in the report, they're talking about multiple breadbasket failures simultaneously. So, because of because of climate change. Yeah. So you have a a blazing hot summer this summer in Europe, which is impacting food production there, and you have enormously wet spring and early summer here mm-hmm. in our breadbasket, which is yeah. affecting the ability to produce here. Right. So. Climate change is already making it harder mm-hmm. to make food. Yeah. It makes it even more ridiculous to take corn and make it into ethanol to put in our cars. You know, yeah. uh, so we really do have to evaluate. And, and for those out there who say, well, you're picking winners and losers, we've already, oh, we are, we've been doing we've already subsidized yeah. winners and losers. Who gets subsidized? We subsidize agribusiness to grow the, the crops that basically are there to feed animals hmm. or to feed our cars. Or to feed... As uh, opposed to growing fruits and vegetables in volume, which would make them cheaper. Yeah, or to feed high, fru- high fructose corn syrup. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Your favorite corn product. Yeah, you walk into the supermarket in the United States and you can see what is wrong with our food system. Because mm. remember, it's only the periphery where so there's how do you, fresh how do you, food. How, how do we talk to farmers in rural Iowa and elsewhere about, about you know, th- this, is, this is hitting them directly at their income, their, their mm-hmm. livelihood, uh, their identity. I mean, corn is not just, uh, it's just, a, not just about economics. It's, it's a social, uh, there's, there's an entire culture created around it. A culture that was created <clears throat> by the decision in the 60s to subsidize corn. Well, I'd say earlier than that. I'd say back in the early part of the last century. But No, actually, the big subsidy change came in the, in the late yeah. 60s. But, I mean, you, uh, yeah, you had, uh, you had the, uh, the, you know, the Henry Wallace. Well, you do the same thing. You, to- you do the same thing that you asked to do of people like coal miners. You give the government supports and subsidizes the changeover. So – you right. know, they have time. You can't t- yeah. just talk to farmers and say, you can't grow beans anymore. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But you give them time to change. It's no different than my approach that for medical insurance. You can't just walk in and say, we're going to have Medicare for all, the insurers are out. You need to come up with some kind of transition plan. Nice transition. <laughs> I know we're going to talk about medicine at all, but all I'm no, saying is. That was laugh- yeah. I was laughing. Yeah. yeah. A and, weeks and ago. you know, that's, what, that's, for instance, what unemployment insurance is. Right, right. Unemployment insurance is right. there. Not for people to stay at home. Mm. It's there to allow people some freedom to go out and find another job that fits them better and yeah. not be destitute during that so period So your of time. message to Iowa farmers would be these are changes that have to happen. They won't be dropped on you all at once so that you have no capacity to adjust. Correct. But they have to be – we have to get serious about them soon. And, right. and again, not just because of what the UN report says on climate change, but for medical reasons uh, – I mean, that the health impact of the uh, current uh, food stream in this country is becoming more and more evident as, you know, as, as a big, big, a big, maybe the biggest part of our problem alongside lack of exercise. But. Right. I mean, we eat a surfeit of calories, and, and that is in particularly driven by what's available at a cheap price in fast food places. Yeah. And that's all a consequence of the way things have been subsidized and, and the regulations we've allowed – or the lack of regulations we've allowed in, in certain aspects of the agribusiness. Um, you know, I always find it really ironic when the Republicans come out and defend the family farm. You know, they're, they're almost non-existent except in small areas of this country. Most, most food is grown by agribusiness. And go out to California, that's certainly the case. Yeah. You know, but yeah. um, I, I, I think this is, a missed oppor- this is a potentially missed opportunity because this isn't that hard. You know, if demand drops for beef, that would naturally bring the price down. Yep. So um, those who would still want to eat could still eat. But I, I, I think that we, people need to be aware of the consequences to the environment. They See, people just want they, – they love the idea of changing the energy system because somebody else has to do that. Mm. But the idea of actually asking people to change their lifestyle – I mean, is it really that big a sacrifice not to eat beef? Or only to eat it once a week. What is what is the big deal with that? Depends who you ask. <laughs> well, I don't understand. I, I, don't, I, 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 I really don't I, understand I, I, what the problem yeah. is. I mean, to me, there's a there's a wide assortment of creatures that are just waiting to be consumed. Yeah, uh, <laughs> they used to Again, be a lot. Vegan but, saying they that, used to but, be a lot more. Well, yeah, they used to be a lot more, right? Right. But cattle are probably not on the extinction list. No, 
Yeah. Anyway. No. Hey, we're going to take a short break, Charles. When we come back, let's talk about uh, Trump's uh, economic advisor in the recession. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sure. Okay. Get, a, get a good laugh out of that yeah. while we can. Right. All right, good. Back in a minute, folks, on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses, and hand-selected wines and craft beer. Visit the Lively Cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. For all your accounting needs, both business and personal, contact Ying Sa at Community CPA with offices in Des Moines and Iowa City. It seems that tax law changes every year. You want an accountant who's up to speed on the latest twists and turns, someone who can help make sure your tax return is filed accurately, in a timely manner, and properly, so you don't end up paying any more than you need to pay. So give Ying Sa, the founder of Community CPA, a call at 515-288-3188. That's 515-288-3188. Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual. Times are tough, and most people are just trying to make their cars last a little bit longer. That's why you should know about Sargent's Garage in Des Moines. You can trust Sargent's to make the right diagnosis and give you a fair price every time. Whether it's a routine oil change or a major repair, Sargent's always does outstanding work. So don't give up on that old car just yet. Call Sargent's Garage at 515-246-8149. That's 515 515- It's important to know where your food comes from. At Hawk Restaurant, that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. Located at East 5th and Walnut Street, Hawk is open for lunch and supper Monday through Saturday. From May through October, you'll also find Hawk at the Downtown Farmer's Market serving fantastic breakfast wraps with 100% of the ingredients from Iowa except for the salt and pepper. Learn more at hawktable.com. That's H-O-Q-Table.com. Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, maybe not an elephant. If you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's work history is long and deep, and her clients stick with her year after year because they know she will do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Namaste India is one of the best Indian restaurants in the Des Moines metro. Located at 7500 University Avenue in Clive, Namaste offers a broad range of cuisine from both northern and southern India. Namaste's menu also includes delicious Indo-Chinese and Nepalese dishes. Owner Ronnie Singh has been in the restaurant business for over 12 years, providing a truly unique culinary feature for Central Iowa diners. Open Wednesday through Monday for lunch and supper, Namaste also delivers to your door. That's Namaste Restaurant 515-255-1698. That's 515-255-1698. Ed Fallon with you here, folks, and Dr. Charles Goldman. So, uh, yeah, Trump, um, well, you know, we may be heading into a recession. Uh, President Trump thinks otherwise. And uh, I think Charles would disagree with him. Surprise, surprise. Charles disagreeing with Trump. Recession, yes or no? Where are we heading, doctor? It certainly looks as though there are signs that the economy is slowing down. I I think there's 
if you uh, accumulate a number of, of statistics, we're probably it still isn't a recession now. But uh, obviously, there's a lot of concern about that because there's been a flight to. It's interesting. The president talks about the market a lot, as though somehow the market going up um, has anything to do with the economy, right? Wait. Well, no, he does. He's constantly talking about the market, right? The stock market. And what was weird was he was talking the other day to these show workers in Pennsylvania, the ones who were actually paid to be there. It turns out, because <laughs> they were told that they could overtime pay. Ah, if they showed up at right, this. Right, right, but right. they had the promise not to have any kind of resistance-type uh, utterances. So, and they complied. And anyway, yeah. so he he's talking to this group at Shell about your 401ks and how without me, your 401k would become worthless. Okay, so let's, let's talk about that a little bit to show how tone-deaf the president is in spite of talking in front of his – well, he wasn't really talking in front of his usual crowd, people he knew who would be supportive. Right. Um, so number one, supportive. the vast majority of, of um, people in this country don't have 401ks. Uh, second thing about 401ks is, as someone once said, there's a reason it starts with F and ends in you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I guess we can say that on the FCC regulated station. <laughs> so anyway, um, so um, – we know that Americans, for the most part, have no savings. Their main asset is actually their home and their assumption that their home will increase in value and that is their main asset. We also know that most Americans don't have $400 in the bank. Yeah, that's, that's a point that some of the presidential candidates on the Democratic yeah. side have been making that you know, most uh, – like, uh, like, like over half of Americans are unable to uh, you know, ha- you know, pay for a $500 emergency. Right. Yeah. So anyway, the, so the president says, well, the market is going to crash if I'm not here. Look how great the market is. Um, if you compare the same amount of time during the first term, uh, the, mar- the stock market, the Dow Jones, whatever you want to use as a measure, went up almost 50 percent under President Obama. Did you ever hear President Obama talking about the market? No. Blanking. <laughs> yeah. No, he, he rarely if ever did. I can't remember. Right. So it went up almost 50 percent under, under, under President Obama. Under President Trump, it's gone up 25 percent. Right. So the effect of <clears throat> Trump is actually more negligible than the effect of Obama was. I mean, honestly, the, the, it's the just president like, has no impact on the economy. Of course. I mean and, – and, But you know – let's talk about let's talk about the market though because the market do. is critical here. <laughs> the market is critical, right? Because what, what is the Trump – what is Trumponomics? What is, what is what Trump's doing – that's driving the economy, supposedly. What does he say? Yeah, he's, he's, it's the tax cut. It's the oil production. A- exactly. Yeah. Okay, so these are the two things that, that happened. Number one, the tax cut. What was the main use that the corporations made of the money they, quote, brought home? Yachts? No. <laughs> Stock buybacks. Yeah. The biggest, the biggest driver of the market at this point now is companies buying back their own stock. Right. Right. The vast majority, in most cases, went to simply buying back their own stock. How in, how does that help infrastructure? How does that help the productivity of the workers? How does that well, help yeah. the modernization of their own industry? So here, here's my question. So say we get into a recession, which again, right. uh, you know, I, I don't think President Trump is a, is an objective voice in that conversation because obviously the last thing he wants, last thing Republicans want is for a recession to hit leading up to the 2020 election. Right. That, that would – I mean, I, again, things are already – look at all the polls. Even Fox News polls show uh, four of the uh, top Democrats beating Trump, each, each of them by a, a decent margin between 6 percent and 12 percent. And Trump, of course, now is de- bashing Fox News <laughs> for, for, for these poll numbers that he doesn't like. But you add a recession to that, and that's not going to go well for him or members of Congress or even probably folks at the state, state level as well. Sure. And so I, 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 think, um, <clears throat> I think, yeah, he's, he's, gonna, he's not an objective voice. But most objective voices are saying something is going to happen. Mm-hmm. But my question is, <clears throat> is it going to be 2008 recession or is it going to be 1929 recession, a.k.a. depression? Um, I, I doubt it's going to be a depression. Um, but I do think it, it could potentially look like 2008. Because the the financial shenanigans that caused two thousand eight are still out there, right? And and uh, and again, what happened in two thousand eight? Well, 
lots of bailout money for the uh, big guys who got in trouble. Big guys who were too big to fail. You know, I mean, the, the whole and that, that was there were Democrats who were accomplices in that fiasco as mm-hmm. as well as Republicans. You know? Well, no, I mean, that, we we all know that, and we all know that one of the great angers at President Obama was that nobody went to jail for this. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, in the in the financial crisis caused by the savings banks in the in the earlier right. years, fifteen hundred people went to jail. Hmm. Two thousand eight, eight people went to jail related to. The financial, uh, you know, mishandling that led to it. Well, the prisons are overcrowded, anyhow. <laughs> no, but I, I think let's go back to this: the man, this the supposed manufacturing uh, exp- expansion is is a phantom. It's all in oil and gas. Manufacturing jobs, if you exclude oil and gas, mm-hmm. are out, are down. Right. We know that. Right. We know that from their own numbers. We also know that because. You know, it, because trucking companies are going out of business. If if manufacturing if the manufacturing index was going up, right? Um, but it's not. It's actually gone down for four consecutive months. Right. Then you sh- you shouldn't see bankruptcies on the part of eight different trucking companies because they are the beneficiaries of uh, expanded manufacturing. But it's not happening. Mm. So it, it, I, I suspect what is going to happen is that. The president will do what a lot of presidents do, right? He'll go and talk, say, well, let's fix the market, right? Somehow, if they can support the market, the stock market, that will make a fantasy of what's going on. Let's tinker with interest rates. Well, but they don't have no, yeah. they have nowhere to go in interest rates. Yeah, I know. They've yeah. turned they've turned bond yields negative. One thing already. I hope, <laughs> uh, one thing I hope doesn't happen is I hope the Democratic candidates for president don't. Start trying to say, look what this president did. He's caused this recession. You know that I understand why they would want to do that because mm-hmm. there are there are there are gullible people in the electorate who would um, who would uh, believe that. Right. Uh, and you can certainly argue that. Um, yeah, you, know, you have to. I mean, certainly, what happens in Washington D.C., whether it's you know in Congress, the administration, the president, the president himself, those have an impact. But the economy is so much bigger than. What happens behind you know closed political doors in D.C. and elsewhere? You know, it's just it's it's, it's disingenuous to try to blame either you know uh, the failure on one particular person or the success. You know, I mean, I mean, and Trump, of course, claimed all sorts of success when the economy was good, which is also just ridiculous. I right. I, I wish um I hope voters start looking beyond that uh, that in, that um, typical game that is played by politicians to try to either take credit or blame. Well, but look at look at what is the United States right now as an economy. A huge part of what goes on uh, economic economic activity in the United States revolves around the finance industry, right? And the tech industry. Yeah, but the tech at least makes something. <laughs> yeah, right. right. The finance industry is nothing more and than the, and, a casino. And, and the oil industry, which is destroying something. Right. <laughs> well, that. But if, if you want to talk about having. You know, taking regulations down, the one industry that has in sure. particular benefited from the Trump administration has been oil and gas. Right. And now they want to open up even more areas within public lands as well as public obviously lands, the Arctic, the Arctic yeah. uh, so that we can extract more yeah. carbon-based you yeah, know, it's, it's, uh, it's insane. Well, fuel. what just happened uh, between India and Australia is, is appalling as well. Uh, the uh, billionaire uh, Adani, I believe his name is, um, who has a massive coal plant uh, – uh, in uh, eastern India, mm-hmm. uh, downwind from uh, or upwind rather from Bangladesh, uh, right? <laughs> you know, just was was able to convince the Australian government to lavish a whole bunch of subsidies on on his company to open up a a a, a, a mining region in central Australia to help fuel that power plant in in India. Well, and I mean, I mean, yeah. while while we need to be going in the other direction, these kind of insane things are happening. Well, and and what's really insane is remember that we <clears throat> just had an election in Australia hmm. in which a sort of a populist very similar to Donald Trump wins. Excuse me. Um even though there was in in Australia a huge uh belief on the part of the public, probably even stronger than here that climate change is actually occurring because they're seeing it. As badly as we may be affected, Australia has been yeah, affected even worse are, are, by yes. climate change. And yet when it comes down to it, uh, for people elect their leaders for other reasons, and this is what you get. And sometimes they elect a leader because they want to vote against somebody else. 
Oh, you mean like Hillary Clinton? Yeah. <laughs> Lock <laughs> her up. Lock her up. Well, they're, they're still saying that. Which it's is unbelievable. Ridiculous. Yeah, well, he brings yeah. out his – I love when they call – at his rallies, he brings out the greatest hits. No, my, my, <laughs> my point – yeah, my, my point is that uh, it's – in many ways, those statistics are, are not meaningful, right? I mean, I, I found this interesting because I didn't know this. I, I, I'm starting to sound like uh, Donald Trump, you know, because when he says, uh, you know, when he comes out, and he says, "A lot of people don't know this," <laughs> which means he just he just read it last you know, right before. So, um, for instance, the unemployment rate in July said that we um, we created like one hundred and fifty thousand jobs, right? And so, when you hear that number, you would assume that that's a hundred and you know forty one hundred fifty thousand new people getting jobs. Right. It turns out the vast majority of the 150,000 jobs are actually second jobs yeah. by the same people. Because the first job doesn't pay enough exactly. for the yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that's, and, that's great economic development. Right. Yeah. And the numbers don't even jive because you have more people in the same statistics saying that they went out and got multiple – a second job yeah. than the jobs that were created. Yeah. So, um, and, you know, and again, the president goes out and says unemployment is the lowest it's ever been. All right. Well, that's true. Uh, for whatever period we're talking about. I can't remember when it usually says. Except, okay, what happened under the previous administration? Because what, what was the unemployment rate when President Obama came in? Can't remember. In excess of 10%. Mm -hmm. What was it when he left? In the four range. Yeah. So President Obama reduced it from 10 to 4. Well, All Donald yeah, Trump has yeah. done is 4 to 3. Again, that's if not you want to give them credit for it or blame. Well, yeah. no, but the point is it's not even – proportionally, yeah. that's not the same amount of achievement. Right. So what is it that the president is doing? What is this economic plan led by Larry Kudlow, a man who has no master's in economics, who did have a TV show? Talking about economics, that he counts, has had some positions. That counts for a lot, doesn't right? He? <laughs> he has had some positions in other administrations as an economic advisor, but uh, <clears throat> this is the usual cream of the crop that that we get. It's you know, it's almost like this thing with with uh, Stein, right? Uh, what's his first name? Uh, the guy who hung himself. Oh, Jeff Jeff Epstein. Epstein. I'm yeah. sorry. All right, Jeff Epstein. Jeff Epstein was teaching math at elite, you know, schools. A dropout, by the way, mm -hmm. from college. Right? He right. was teaching math. You know, he worked at Bear Stearns, was a terrible financier there. You know, they basically had to ask him to go. But this is this is what's crazy. You know, in the elite, it's almost like there's no way to get out of it. You have to, uh, you know, they just, they hide you and they support you. And, and this is what we end up with. Do you really want President Trump and Larry Kudlow to try to navigate a recession of the type that President Obama came in and faced? Uh, I don't. No, and again, I'm I, I'm not I'm not saying Obama did, did did a very good job of it either. Well, he he did a very good job of getting us out, considering how constrained he was by ultimately, you know, within two years, a Republican majority. Um, he did it in a traditional Keynesian way. Although interestingly, it was as much money as was injected into the economy at that point. More of it came in through tax cuts, mm. but tax cuts directed at the lower, the middle class, and the and the working class, not to, not tax cuts directed at the wealthy. Um, but this is this is the nature of things. Almost every recession has been associated with a Republican administration, and then the Democrats get elected and have to fix the problem, whereby the Republicans <laughs> get to say, "Oh, the usual tax and spend Democrats." Yeah. Well, what do you think of, of, of a trillion dollar deficit? Generated by billions of dollars of tax cuts to a limited class and to the corporations, who then turned around and used it to make themselves richer. Yeah. Well, there's, there's absolutely no arguing that uh, the income, income gap in the U.S. has grown tremendously in recent years, both under Democratic and Republican presidents, by the way, but right. certainly worse under the current president. Hey, we've got to run to a quick break, Charles. Uh, when we come back, I think we, we want to talk about the NRA. The NRA used to be a warm and fuzzy thing. Uh, that's changed uh, since, what, the 1970s or so. We'll talk about that when we come back on the Fallon Forum. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. That's Brother Trucker and their tune downtown, kicking back the conversation here. In Des Moines, Iowa, or on La we're on Lorraine at 1260 AM and 96.5 FM if you're in the Des Moines metro. Otherwise, you can catch the program live at 11 o'clock Central Time on the Fallon Forum website. 
There'll also be a podcast available after the program, and we rebroadcast on stations around Iowa and several other states across the country. Uh, go to the Fallon Forum website for more details about that. Quick shout-out to some of our business partners in the Des Moines metro. Thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, located at 20th and Woodland. My grocery store and a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. They've also got an excellent catering service. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Hawk Restaurant, where 90% of the food served comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. They've also got a great booth at the downtown Des Moines Farmer's Market on Saturday mornings. Thanks also to Sergeant's Garage at 6th and College. Don't just toss your car, folks. Get it fixed up. Sergeant's Garage will do that right for you. And thanks to Diversity Insurance at 1541 East Grand in Des Moines, where I just paid my six-month installment for my beater car. They have a great uh, opportunity. They have a great prices for car insurance. That's uh, 1541 East Grand and uh, Diversity Insurance. Thanks also to Community CPA with offices in Des Moines and Iowa City. Give Yanksai Community CPA a shout about all your tax and accounting needs. All right, so um, back to our conversation here, Dr. Charles Goldman in the studio with us, and um, we're looking at the NRA. Now, the NRA's profile is pretty well known. The current profile is pretty well known, but the history of the NRA, not so well known and fascinating. Yeah, I mean, actually, the history of the Second Amendment is fascinating. And, you know, I, I actually, every time I hear one of the Democrat, Democratic, excuse me, Dem <laughs> Democrat, of course, is how... President Trump refers to them. Um, the Democratic candidates talk about the Second Amendment with great reverence. Um, if you want to talk about judicial activism, let's first look at the history of the Second Amendment, and then we'll go to the NRA. Um, so every, everyone know, who knows the Second Amendment knows it seems that is there are two discrete parts to it, right? The first is about regulating a militia. The second is about the right to bear arms. The history of the Second Amendment has nothing to do with individual right to bear arms. Right, that was actually already assumed in those times. What the Second Amendment is about is that they use the term individuals. Who were individuals at the time of the Second Amendment's writing? Uh, white guys who owned property. Correct. And it definitely didn't include black, black, either free black or black slaves. Or women. Or women. Or Native Americans. Right. Yeah. Right. But the point of the way it was written, actually, was initially that the states had rights to raise militia. Patrick Henry, who was governor of Virginia at the time that the Constitution was looking to be ratified, told Madison, James Madison, that he was very concerned about the way that was written because it seemed to allow that anyone <clears throat> could be a member of the militia. Therefore, they would have the right to bear arms. And so the way it was written, the individual's you know, right shall not be infringed, was talking about a very specific group. And what were these militias doing? They, in the South, they were mostly militias to look for runaway slaves. And, and also, again, going back to things we've talked about before, their fear of a, a slave re rebellion mm -hmm. that they would have to put down. That's what happened in Haiti. Right. right. Interestingly, it wasn't until 2008 or five when the Heller decision comes down. I can't remember. I think it was – maybe it was five – if you asked uh, the Supreme Court justices in the United States, was there an individual's right to bear arms, they would have said no. In fact, Warren Burger, the chief justice of the Supreme Court in the 1990s, a very conservative chief justice, said the notion that, that individuals have the right to bear arms is a fraud. Hmm. So this isn't this isn't and then of course Scalia reinterprets this in the right, Heller decision, right. although even in that decision it, 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 there is nothing in that decision that says you can't have reasonable regulation of arms, those who have arms in this country, uh, weapons in this country. So it's, and how did we get to this point? How did, we, how did 200 plus years of uh, jurisprudence that there is not an individual's right to bear arms hmm. come to be? Well, the NRA, which initially was mostly an organization about um, – Safety. Yeah, here's, Safe here, here's, use of weapons. Here's a quote from the originally uh, incorporated documents of the NRA mm -hmm. in 1871. Primary goal was to promote and encourage rifle shooting on a scientific basis. Yeah. So they were mostly about no. safety. <laughs> yeah. And you also need to remember that the NRA is a nonprofit organization, which is, course, become, is becoming very important now, given what's happening in New York and in the, in the case against the NRA, which that they were using, you know, the dues for ridiculous things. Yeah. You know, um, 
So, we, you know, fast forward. 1970, NRA gets taken over by a, a pretty conservative group who changes the orientation of the organization to the idea that they need to overturn the Second Amendment interpretation that there isn't an individual's right to bear arms. Right. And this is the NRA we now know. Now, what does the NRA do? They don't, they don't campaign federally. At that time, they felt there was too many uh, decisions that had already been made buttressing that the government could regulate arms. And they went to the states. And they, just like we, the Federal Society did with the federal judiciary, they were able to get justices who were um, sympathetic to their view in place. And you started to see um, states coming out with you know, all the things we now right, know. Right. And then, ultimately, they were able to get enough influence that they moved to the federal level. Now, you have to ask yourself, and this shows the cowardice of the Democrats, <laughs> how, many, how many gun owners, what percentage of the population owns any weapon in this country? Don't know. 25%. Okay, but so they, the vast own, they majority, own a lot. <laughs> well, this is the point. The vast majority of people in this country do not own guns. 25% of the population does, and of that 25%, 3% of the population owns 50% of the weapons. Right. Okay? Yeah. So what a, what coward you have to be in many places to kowtow to this organization? They don't even represent even close to a plurality of Americans. They yeah. represent a, a minority, and it's about time that one of these Democrats get out there and say, the Second Amendment does not does not protect an individual's rights to right. own and guns you, without and, regulation. And, you, and we would admire that level of courage as that candidate goes down to defeat. Right? No. I mean, Why? How, 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 the vast majority of this country believes that. Yeah. But, but, the, but these yeah, people I mean, are locked candidate, in candidates Washington. Lose, Democrats lose. I mean, I, and I'm not advocating for, no for cowardice, but I'm just right. pointing out the reality that there are a lot of uh, – a lot of otherwise progressive Democrats who would lose an election if they weren't seemed to be at least uh, friendly toward gun ownership. It depends, again, where you're campaigning, and it depends what you want to get across. What is it you want? You're not going to confiscate guns in this country. No, and, 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 I, and I, don't, I don't think most of us would agree you shouldn't. Okay, but I don't want to, hear, I don't want to the, hear about you can't, you can't ban assault weapons because you can't define them. Right, right. That's nonsense. Yeah. Canada bans assault weapons. There's no problem that for the, the Canadians. The, but the NRA, and this is a, Canada's a country that has almost as many guns per person as we do. Right. But the NRA, they've been able to blur the lines and blur the distinctions so that we, 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 we fail to continue to, you know, draw, uh, you know, draw a, a point of difference between a shotgun and an assault weapon. And well, a shotgun some, is not an assault weapon. I know, I know that, but but it just seems, it seems like you, it, it's been simplified, it's been dumbed down, so you, you're either pro-gun rights or anti-gun rights, and the whole thing is just kind of lumped into one, and that's uh, you know I, I'm I'd like to believe that every single time we have one of these tragic, horrific shootings, that that's the point at which we're finally going to see the change that we need in this country, and it doesn't happen. And I think I think the NRA is what's standing in the way. The NRA may go out of existence based on this lawsuit because of of you know the way they've been mishandling the money that right. they've been getting. And why is the NRA a nonprofit organization? Talk yeah. about an organization that is politicizing things, right? Um, you know, it's I I just think somebody has to be willing to be out there and. Um, have the courage. Maybe one of the people who's getting 1% of the vote in the next debate should stand there and say, the Second Amendment well, John does Hig not protect John Hickenlooper blew his chance. Arms. <laughs> well, there's plenty of people up there who are getting 1%. Yeah. No, right. I mean, I think you have, some, have to have some courage. Yeah. Well, Charles, thanks for joining us today. Uh, folks, uh, if you're listening on our community-owned stations, on Facebook Live, or online on, on the podcast, we're going to be back in a bit to talk about uh, the... Uh, Democratic caucus, uh, Democratic candidate presence at the Iowa State Fair. I don't know if you caught any of that, Charles, but it was high entertainment. Not it was, no, it I'm was, interested to hear about it. It was insane, actually. It was absolutely insane. We'll talk about that when we come back again. Thanks to our producer, Ashley Martinez. Thanks to our production assistant, uh, Sherry Ferdina. Uh, thanks to Juan Rodriguez here at the studio at Lorena, 1260 AM and 96.5 FM. Again, we broadcast live every Monday at 11 o'clock. Again, if you're on the community-owned station, stick around. We've got more conversation coming to you from the Fallon Forum.
I'm back with you here, folks. Ed Fallon, Dr. Charles Goldman. Uh, we survivors of the Iowa State mm -hmm. Fair. I, th I think Charles survived by not going, right? No, we. I, we oh, you actually, did go. Yeah, we we took Grayson. What for, really? Uh, well, you took your four-year-old. Yeah, we did okay. take our four-year-old. We actually did something I've never done. I've been there, you know, at least generally once a year. You ate a corn dog? No, we we took the shuttle into the campground. Oh, yeah. And that was quite an experience. <laughs> Why? So, well, you know, the it, it's. The people are just packed in there, one on top of another, you know, and yeah, it's just it's it's just fascinating. And it's hard to get in. I mean, people love it for some reason. Yeah, well, isn't I, there a waiting list? Uh, yeah, there is, and and I think it's it's it it is the proximity of people that they like yeah. because I, I guess a lot of those people live out in rural areas, and so to them, I mean, you, having people next to them by rural areas, you mean suburbs? Well, not suburbs. These people come <laughs> in, yeah, possibly like, suburbs. Yeah, yeah. but they, I well, think they come in from outside. I, I went to the fair four times, four days. Okay, and each day was to go. As meet penguin. some no, not as a penguin, as a person concerned about the climate crisis, wanting to talk <clears> with <throat> presidential candidates. So mm -hmm. I, I meet Bullock. Um, you know, he he does right. his stump speech. He goes goes around to the back of the building to do the usual press. You kind of you kind of get to know the routine. There's 24 candidates, so you mm -hmm. kind of know the routine. He goes back to the press booth, and then after after that, he's going to walk behind the building. So I'm back there. Right, and then they I'm, walk over to the food area and, and get something sick, disgusting. Right. Yeah, I, so I'm back there lurking. I know he's going to come. I say. Uh, uh, you know, uh, th thank you, Mr. Bullock, for speaking uh, for your concern about climate change. Um, uh, I, I mentioned, uh, I, I mentioned, you know, our opposition here in Iowa to the Dakota Access Pipeline. And before I could say anything, he says to me, "Oh yeah, we've met, we've met several times before." And he was kind of like, "We've met several times before, and I'm sick of you." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he didn't say that. But yeah. uh, but he wasn't real eager to talk. Uh, he moved on pretty quick. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what what? Has he's met some of the other bold Iowa people, or yeah, he's well, and he, he was. I, I thought I'd only met him once, but no, I have to give him credit. He's right. I did meet. I did meet him multiple times. I, I just get. Mm -hmm. I get the candidates mixed up after a while. It's okay. been pretty intense. But so my my uh, my favorite interaction that day that was the first day Thursday mm -hmm. was with Joe Biden. We were um, me and Sherry were uh, were scoping around trying to figure out where Mr. Biden was hanging out mm -hmm. because uh, we knew that he was at the fairgrounds before his speech. We just didn't know where. So gradually we find, kind of kind of just kept uh, sniffing out clues and found him. And I was able to, we had a huge media entourage, media entourage with him, obviously. Yeah. But um, we were able to corner him between two uh, booths smelling, booths uh, selling bad food. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> right. And I said, yeah. Corn-based. Mr. Corn-based, corn yeah. Mr. Biden, thank you for your, uh, <laughs> for your, uh, your strong plan about climate change. Um, Really hope you talk about it today. We, we need to hear more from you about it because the media aren't talking about it much. Mm -hmm. and, he, and he said, yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to talk more about it, and it's going to create 10,000 jobs when we do the right thing. Right. So, or maybe actually, more than, you know, yeah. 10 million jobs. Sorry, right. this place is zero. So when you get up on the stump just a few minutes later, he talked about climate a lot. Mm -hmm. he, I was, I, he talked about it for a couple, three minutes. And I don't, I don't think he would have done that otherwise. And in fact, we heard him that night at the Asian Latino Coalition, mm -hmm. where he talked for a full hour without without ever mentioning climate. Uh -huh. and that was the one where he made the gaffe in terms of the uh, well, white kids. Yeah, he made he made the gaffe about um, poor kids are just as smart as white kids. Right. And then he corrected himself. He did correct. I have himself. no trouble with that. Yeah. Everybody makes mistakes. Uh, at the state fair, he had a different gaffe. Yeah. He said, "We choose truth <laughs> over, you know, it's gonna he's gonna facts. say lies, right? right? No, he says facts. Truth yeah. over facts, right. which is." You know, okay, it's it's a it's a gaff. It's mm -hmm. a gaff machine. That that part doesn't bug me as much, but I know it will come back to bite him in in an election. So um anyway uh we uh oh gosh I can't I can't even keep the days straight anymore. But but uh, probably the biggest uh, entourage presence was Bernie Sanders, mm -hmm. where I nonetheless was able to get in a, a comment to him saying, uh, Mr. Sanders, thank you for opposing the Dakota Access Pipeline. Mm -hmm. We need your opposition again because they want to double the f flow of oil through the pipeline. Right. And he, um, and he's another one who probably said, "I've met you multiple times." No, he didn't. Because we have. He, well, yeah, I know, I know. Well, you, you and I met him when he didn't have an entourage exactly. back in November of 2014. That's correct. When he wasn't sure where he stood on the Dakota Access mm -hmm. Pipeline, he right. went from that to being strongly opposed. Yeah. But you know what? He didn't. He didn't respond to me at all. He just kept walking. But right. his wife Jane turned to me and nodded in, in agreement. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think we've got their ear on this, and yeah. we need to because. Uh, you know, I mean, right now, doubling the flow of oil through the pipeline is a huge problem, not just for the four states that it runs through, but for climate change. Yeah, and yeah. actually, I think 
just for, for the listeners out there, our first encounter with him after we met him that time. With Sanders. Right. Was he gave, he gave this speech, which reminded me a lot of Perot. <laughs> Ross this, Perot. Yeah, he had this slideshow, you know. Yeah. And it was very much all he needed was the whiteboard, you know. Uh, and, right, right, like Ross right. Perot. Right, right. But it's interesting, yeah, how he's kind of metamorphosized from that into a very different candidate. Well, and a candidate who really, truly has set the agenda. But, yeah. So, anyway, uh, when went the next day? We went, on, we went on Friday as well. And, again, this, I'm just talking about my experience. Mm-hmm. There were lots of people bird-dogging on climate at the fair mm-hmm. and at a lot of the related events that were happening around Iowa. Right. But uh, I got to talk with uh, Tulsi Gabbard, and uh, Kathy talked with her briefly. Right. And uh, then I talked with her a little bit longer. Um, you know, she's – I still think she's one of a handful of candidates that might – still have a role to play in this campaign. And that would be what? Uh, well, by that I mean getting into the top three, four, five. Really? Yeah. I think I think she, Gillibrand, Booker, those three candidates all have a shot at doing better than they're doing right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I, would, yeah, I, Yang, I, I would put Yang as well. Yang yeah, as well. I, I don't know that much about Tulsi Gabbard. I mean, I think, I think my biggest problem, I like Christian Gillibrand's policy suggestions, but, uh, you know, it's just hard to get past her and the Franken- episode you know that, that and, was that was unfortunate yeah, yeah. and, and um, it was too opportunistic and yes the article by Jane uh, Mayer in New Yorker was quite interesting in that regard because yeah. actually she he and Gillibrand were very friendly um, they played of all things squash together by the way oh um, and <laughs> so uh, you, you hope to maybe sometimes play doubles <laughs> <laughs> well we don't have a doubles court here in Des Moines although we have some good singles courts but um, <laughs> I think a lot in the party, and in fact, there's a number of people, who, d- Democratic donors, who said they will never give to Kristen yeah. Gillibrand, even if she Kirsten, were the candidate. Yeah. Kirsten Gillibrand, yeah, yeah. even if she were the candidate. Yeah. I will say, that. you know, I, I had a chance to talk with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kathy talked with her as well. Others might have too. I can't keep track of everything, but, but she, um, you know, she's she's very good on climate, but it's it, she talks about it as as her top priority, but, but then she doesn't position it as her top priority during her stump speeches, mm-hmm. but. She did talk about it. We, we talked with her afterwards. Um, we talked with Tulsi Gabbard before her speech. I, I, I will say this. You know, a lot of the candidates get very excitable. Um, you mean like Sanders? Sanders. I mean, Sanders is even worse. He's even worse than his grumpy grandpa. You know? <laughs> you yeah, but, yeah, but today he gets to play baseball on the field of dreams. Right. That, uh, of all the coups scored by any candidate, that's got to top them all. <laughs> Sanders playing. I, I don't even know what position he's going to play. Right. But here, what are you, how, how old is he? 70 what again? 70, 74? No, older, I think. 76. And he's playing baseball. Right. <laughs> or softball, I guess. Yeah. On the field of dreams. That's, that's amazing. But, um, but no, uh, Gillibrand and um, and uh, and Gabbard both made, I, I thought, positive comments about the urgency of climate change. Mm-hmm. But but um, I want to say Saturday was kind of a highlight for for me because uh, uh, Elizabeth Warren had almost as big of a crowd as Bernie Sanders right. walking around the fair. But we um, we we found her before her speech, mm-hmm. and um, one of our folks who was from Massachusetts just said hello briefly, got her picture taken. Kathy was able to actually go up and shake her hand. Mm-hmm. I mean, surrounded by this huge crush of people, media, um, people wanting photographs, whatnot, staffers, handlers. Uh, and she said, you know, thank you for, your, for um, doing more, talking more about climate. We hope you'll mention it during your speech today. Mm-hmm. And Warren said, um, probably not. I, 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 I give her credit for admitting that she wasn't going to talk about it, but, like, why not? Mm-hmm. And it surprised me. I mean, this was... Kathy spoke with her literally uh, ten minutes before she went up on stage. I think. Yeah. I mean, she was almost to the uh, to the soapbox. So I was surprised that that Warren, after hearing from a constituent, and actually what Kathy said was, "I hope you'll talk about climate today," and Warren said, "Probably not." Uh, Kathy said, "Well, don't make me dress like a penguin." <laughs> <laughs> um, but the uh, but she didn't, and it surprised me because she has been talking a lot more about climate, mm-hmm. and she had a, I mean, she had all the. She talked about the, the, the wealth tax right. and what she's going to do with the wealth tax. Mm-hmm. And she listed all these priorities. Why, why wouldn't she not? Why, would she, why, why didn't she talk about climate as one of those priorities? I don't get it. Yeah. I don't get it. That was very disappointing. That, to me, was the most disappointing moment of the fair. Yeah, I mean, I, even, even I, more disappointing. I, I love Elizabeth Warren in many ways, you know. And uh, even on, on TV, they're talking about the fact that she's become a better retail politician. You know, yes, I would say that's true. 
Um, but yeah, I, I I don't know. I mean, I again, she's the kind of person who could give a coherent policy. What can we do with climate change? You know, and it's not give free college. Okay, if this is truly an existential issue, climate change. Right. I'm sorry, giving free college. It sounds great. Yeah. But that's not where the money should go. Yeah. Well, and that's 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 primarily Bernie Sanders' position. Right, but it's yeah. also hers. Yeah. Yeah. No, the um, but but my uh, what I'm happy about with Warren is that she went from not talking about climate change hardly at all mm -hmm. to making it a significant priority. But now at the state, I mean, the state fair is kind of it's a big moment so in this campaign. So where are we? So where are we on on them having a climate debate? Because Rob Hogue had another article today or yes, Sunday in the Senator paper. Hogue, yeah. Right. Now there's a there's a, a, a DNC vote coming up this weekend okay. that will indicate whether they are serious about a climate debate or not. Regardless, uh, MSNBC and I think CNN are planning forums, but you know, a forum is not a debate. It's not. It doesn't. It doesn't uh, doesn't capture the same audience. It doesn't uh, command the same respect. Mm -hmm. So um, I think uh, I think uh, I hope the DNC does the right thing and agrees to hold a debate. I agree. I mean, it it's out there that this is a major issue for not just Democratic voters, but yeah. young people in particular who are voting. And not just an issue, a crisis. That's yeah. correct. Hey, folks, we got to we got to take a. Take off here, folks. Uh, thanks for tuning into the Fallon Forum. This is Ed Fallon, your host, and Dr. Charles Goldman.